Welcome to Changing the Lens, a podcast dedicated to helping women like you grab a hold of some fresh insight, clear perspective, and a renewed energy when planning your wedding and beyond. I'm Angelina Swords Bricado, your host. I'm a veteran wedding photographer with more than 500 weddings under my belt, a woman who loves the big city and has made my hometown my home. I'm 20 years into my marriage to my high school sweetheart, Lyle, and we have four kiddos. I believe that we can always make a choice to see opportunity over obstacle if we take a breath and allow ourselves to shift our perspective. This is a place where we will hear from experts in the world of weddings, health and wellness, marriage counseling, food and cocktail, stress management, and so much more. We want to clear the desk of all of the pressure and the overwhelm. So grab your coffee or your cocktail. All you have to do here is be willing to listen, see things differently, and believe in the power of changing the lens. Today's guest is Deborah Baker Jr. She is a dear friend to me. I shot her wedding so many years ago in her family home in the backyard. It was an amazing event, and we'll be talking about that in today's show uh, because she had a backyard wedding before it was a COVID mandate. And we're going to talk about all the reasons why she made that decision and why home is so important to her. And it was the perfect place for she and her husband, Michael, to start their life together. Deb is also an incredible actor, and I know you've seen her as Esther on CBS's The Great Indoors with Joel McHale. She was Denise Miller on IFC's Stand Against Evil, which is a cult favorite. And she's currently playing Brittany on CBS's The Neighborhood. And if you've seen any of those rum chata commercials lately with the fabulous rum fairy, well, she is the rum chata fairy. You guys are going to fall in love with Deb, like I already said, but it's just so true that I can't stop saying it. So prepare yourself to fall in love with Deb. Um, is your hair rubbing on your mic by chance? I'm hearing like a scratchy little sound. I have it up, but maybe. Mm. Oh, that sounded better. Right here? Something I'm just going to hold it right here then. Oh, yeah. That was like night and day. I think it might have just been like your hair or something might have been rubbing on I it. I think it's sitting on my bosom. Oh, the boobs. Oh, boobs. the boobs. <laughs> I may not cut that part out if it's okay with you because that's kind of hilarious. That's fine. <laughs> Um, so, I mean, I've been knowing you now for, what, like uh, 15 years at least, at least. I think more. Yeah, probably. Let's just say more. Um, but I know. We've known each other forever. Forever. <laughs> except for all the years that we didn't, but it's fine. Right. Nobody's yeah, counting yeah, those. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. <laughs> but so I've known you long enough to know that home is so important to you. Family is so important to you and your friendships are so important to you. I mean. I remember when you checked in with us to photograph your wedding, which you had at home in your family's Mm -hmm. um, summer home on the East Coast. But it wasn't in a traditional fashion. I mean, it was all right there, right there on the lawn. Every every part of it and every person that was there and a participant in this day, which is to me, that was one of my big what I came away from your event with was you didn't just you you didn't think of your guests as guests. 
in and of itself. It was more as though everybody was a participant, whether it was a participant in that event, you know, as a member of the wedding party or somebody who was helping out or somebody who was contributing in that way or just a, a participant in your life. And that has I mean, I've held on to that for you've been married now for what, 10 years oh, yeah. or just 11, 10 years. <laughs> Yeah. So ten years. So that that you know locked in with me was uh, just how committed you are to that um, to that nostalgia and those relationships and connection and every element of that. When you set out to plan your wedding, did you know right away that that was the type of event you were going to craft, or did it all just sort of unfold? Thank goodness for you and Lyle and capturing our day. Thank goodness we have those pictures because we want to surround ourselves with the people that we love. I want to look and I want to see all, I want to know everybody. I want the people that have like made me who I am. Mm -hmm. I want the people who support me. I want, you know, that that's what was really, really important to us and has always been really important. Who are the people that light us up? Who are the people that like, I, I like, I love my friends. Like I loved you and Lyle. I like everyone's such a precious gift to me. Um, and I love nurturing those friendships. So like, that was like such a huge part of our wedding for sure. And I love that you, that you came away with that because that was such a like core part of it. And our friends are lifelong friends. Like also, I think what, what's so important about the wedding that you, that you did have is that you chose a backyard wedding at home in this mm -hmm. retreat sort of style. I think I've told you that before. You know, it wasn't a requirement for you to do it that way. It was it was a passion for you to do it that way. Yeah. Uh, it was your choice to do it that way. And so about the actual physical location, you know, what made what makes that home so special to you? Why it was without a doubt the place that not only you chose to get married at, but so did your sister. Um, she chose to get married in that same spot, and I got to photograph that one, too. Woohoo! Um, oh, yeah. <laughs> but, you know, I think hearing your perspective on that is so important because most weddings that are moving forward, but they're taking a different shape. Like, for example, they're keeping their date. They're not pushing their date, but they are downsizing to meet the mandates, and they're doing it in a different space. For example, backyards or right. sit-down dinner at home. Um, and you know, at the beginning of that, all you're seeing is the sacrifice, I think, instead of seeing the beauty that can really come from that. And then you ease your way into acceptance. But I would love to hear from you about how that selection, how that choice, not requirement, how that choice was made for you. The most special place for me, and that was my constant that we always came back to. So and it's such a grounding place for me. And it's such like that part of the world. I, I don't, it just completely grounds me, calms me. Anytime I'm meditating, I'm like, I'm right there. Yeah. Um, and I don't know if it's because of my family have been there for so long. And it just has like such a warm, beautiful energy of just like lineage. I remember going and visiting venues with my mother. Cause she was like, I just want you to go and look at other places. Like, I don't know if you really want to get married in the backyard. And I'm like, no, I do. <laughs> and I looked at other places and they were beautiful and they were fine. But there was something so special about bringing all my favorite people to my favorite place under my favorite tree and getting married in nature like that. No one else can get married there. Right. Mm -hmm. Like no one else has that opportunity to get 
I mean, my sister got married in the same backyard, <laughs> in a different part of the yard, but like. But it's your sister. It's part of you. It's the person who Absolutely. shared those m- memories and experiences with you. You can go back to that place and it is just, it's a special place that, that I'm the only person that's gotten married under that tree in our family. Yeah. It's like, there's no other physical place that you can go to that's more you than mm-hmm. right there. Mm-hmm. And to share that with Michael, you know, that now right. not only is this space part of your lineage, but it's almost like you're sort of giving part of that to him. You're sharing that with him as you created, as you started down that path of creating your life together. So these are super old houses. There's no, I mean, some of the newer houses have lovely things, but our, our little compound, there's no air conditioning. There's no, you know, heat. There's no, so you are kind of like roughing it in the country. But I think the fact that like the first time Michael and I went to Nongwit together, he was just like, this is such a special place. And it was immediately his grounding place and immediately his favorite place. Of course, we're going to get married <laughs> there. Like, yeah. of course. Um, so I d- it didn't feel like just mine. It felt like, oh, this is ours. Even years before we got married, because we dated a while. Yeah. It, yeah, it's not about luxury. And that's not Mm-mm. to diminish what is there, because it's phenomenal. I people can see in the photographs and there's nothing nothing like it it blew my mind it affected me in ways it imprinted on both me and lyle there's certain mornings that we wake up when it's nice and cool and crisp here in louisiana and just that tiny hint of coastal moisture in the air and Mm. we have a cup of coffee and we are right there on the dock at, at your at your place at your family place. So um, it is, it's affecting. And I think maybe that's the takeaway that it's, it's not about creating luxury or having to have this home that's so elaborately appointed that, of course, you know, it has all the amenities of a venue. It's not about that, right? It's about right. the connection. It's about um, the connection to the people, of course, and the connection to the actual physical land. Like mm-hmm. the connection to the earth and what's been built there and what's been created yeah. there. When you got married, you wore blue shoes and you had like a T-length dress, right? It was t- yeah. You could see the blue shoes. It wasn't – they weren't covered. You have to know that there were dozens and dozens of Bricado brides after that point who wore blue shoes for their wedding. I'm not saying that <laughs> nobody ever did that before DBJ, but I can certainly tell you that once DBJ did it, it was like – Blue shoes, blue shoes, blue shoes, bonanza for the longest time. Such a trendsetter. I remember one time it was, you know, after your wedding, obviously, that I was doing a consultation in someone's home. And when I walked in, a a photo of you that she had printed, she had it on the refrigerator because she wanted to make sure (laughs) that I knew that she wanted those blue shoes and she wanted to make sure that I got a photograph similar to that one of her with her blue shoes on. So you affected the Louisiana wedding industry for years and years. (laughs) (laughs) Well, that makes that that you really, that's nice. I just patted myself on the back. (laughs) Yeah, good. You deserve that one. (laughs) Um, And I also think that your wedding uh, was also one of the first looks I had ever done. And it wasn't a first look, um, not in the traditional sense where the bride and groom see each other. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about when your grandmother's laid eyes on you for the first time. And we didn't call Mm -hmm. it a first look. It was nothing that was coordinated. It just organically happened the way it did. But now that's not to say that 
organically happening in that fashion with that kind of photograph would would happen regularly because it does like there needs to typically be some orchestration. But I think sort of that being ready for things on my part and then you embracing moments and sort of flowing from one to the other really made that moment happen. So you you just saw your grandmother sitting on the sofa downstairs in the home right before you were about to walk outside to start some formal pictures. And you just took the moment with them and just stood and they saw you. And it wasn't this whole big, there weren't like massive tears shed or anything like that. It was just this beautiful, quiet moment. And I, yeah. and I think that officially was my first ever first look, even though we weren't really conscious that that was what was happening at the time. Yeah. I mean, I don't even remember you taking that photo. I mean, obviously, I love that photo. That's one of my favorite photos from the day, Um, especially since both even more now, because both those women were such huge pillars in my life. And I just adore them more than anything. And I would call them every day. And they've both passed now. Like that photo is even more like powerful for me. Mm-hmm. There's so many things that I don't know if I would have remembered because it kind of all goes into a blur of like stress and emotion and exhilaration and, and excitement and it, everything happens like in warp speed, but it doesn't. And like, and so, yeah, thank goodness for you guys, because besides that photo, I don't even remember. Oh, I think I do remember my gr- <laughs> Matu, who, um, my dad's mom, <laughs> When I came down, she had a nickname for me. She was like, Spanky, what happened to your eyelashes? <laughs> like, <laughs> like, oh, this is makeup, Matsu. It's makeup. Um, but yeah, I, I think that that's exactly what that moment was. It's like, what happened to your eyelashes? <laughs> yeah. Oh, my gosh. That's so great. Grandmas are the best. They are the Grandmas best. Grandmas are the best. Um, well, you know, you were thanking me, but I just, when we have... When we have couples who are flowing, you know, and that doesn't mean that there weren't internal stresses for you or, you know, a thousand things rushing through your mind. I I don't I can't speak to that. All I can say is that, you know, when I gave you direction and I, I don't remember there being there was never this sort of rushed, chaotic energy once we started getting you into your dress. Do you know what I mean? Mm. And you yeah. allowed moments to happen and you weren't panicking about time at least not outwardly. I don't know what was happening on the inside. <laughs> but I remember setting you up in one spot by a window and shooting for a good, not, I mean, not a ridiculous amount of time, but I wasn't rushing myself either. And you didn't make me feel like I was being rushed. So um, yeah, that fluidity that you as a bride brought to the table to sort of accept direction and trust and flow, uh, it, it, that is what assists your team to create the, help create these moments for you. So the, the appreciation I, is I, mutual. I agree, but I also think that you are a huge part of that, right? Like, because I'm so comfortable with you and because I it, I just trusted you completely, uh, there, there's, there was such an ease. I didn't, there, of course, I wouldn't be stressed out about anything. I'm like, oh, she's got this. <laughs> like, you want me to stand over here? I, I will stand right here. You tell me what to do. <laughs> um, and I don't, like, I, I think that's part of our friendship. And I think that's also part of just me as a human who makes a living being in front of the camera mm-hmm. and knowing that when you have that fluidity and you have that trust, amazing things happen, you know, when you're working creatively with someone. I, I think as a creative person, as soon as someone starts putting limitations or 
starts being super like rigid. Yeah. It makes my create my creativity like window like close. Mm-hmm. And I'm just like, oh God, like this is so much harder than it needs to be. And like I have a vision too. And that's why you want, that's why you hired me. (laughs) Like now I'm not doing anything that I typically do or, you know, that's not really my style. And like, it's just, it's so hard. And then you just, you're uphill battle the rest of the time, right? Like it's not fun. (laughs) They're not having fun. You're not having fun. And it's just like, oh. And I, so I think because we're both creatives, because we're friends, because I do trust talent um I don't need to be an extra cook in the kitchen (laughs) you know sure yeah I get that and I also get that the that creative like when you feel like your creativity is being stifled or not trusted like it shuts it shuts you down uh to a degree I mean you're still gonna do the work and you'll still do great work but you know would it be the same as if you felt like somebody was really trusting you and trusting your Mm -hmm. insight and trusting what you're bringing to the table yeah I I feel that way very much. And I don't know if that's because I am a fellow creative person, both in front of and behind the camera, too, um, uh, that I feel that way. And I do. If I hire someone to do something, I really trust them pretty implicitly to create. It doesn't mean that we can't have open communication. It doesn't mean that that person has to start from zero. You know, we can have just just the open line of communication sometimes builds all the trust and the knowledge that you need to 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 riff, you know, mm-hmm. with one yeah. another. Well, um, speaking of the whole, you know, you were saying you make a living being in front of the camera and you're a creative person. So and you're like real deal. I mean, I didn't, Deb, <laughs> I did not realize you were American Academy of Dramatic Arts. Like, I didn't know that yeah. that was your background uh, until I was digging in for this. You know, I mean, we don't really spend a lot of time talking about our our university days. Uh, yeah. But what was that experience like? I mean, that's pretty cool. For a summer, my junior year was like, I think I'm just going to give it a whirl. I auditioned. I got in. I went for the full summer program in New York. It was a magical, beautiful thing. And I was like, oh, I'm going to be in New York. This is what I'm going to do. And then I talked to some family friends and they were like, yeah, but do you just want to be on Broadway? And <laughs> I was like, well, I, I mean, no, I mean, I would love to, of course. Like, and they're like, but do you want, like, do, what do you really want? And I'm like, well, I mean, I, I do think I want like a television and movie career. And they're like, you need to move to Los Angeles right now. So then I applied to the LA campus, got in. Um, and my parents were completely on board with that. They were like, yeah, that's fine. You want to go to an acting conservatory for college? Do it. So that's how I'm straight from high school, moved to Los Angeles and did it. Yeah. Oh. Mm-hmm. And then high school. I mean, that was real deal, too. That was girls school. Like, yeah, all girls boarding school in Virginia. <laughs> what was it like making friends in a girls school? Was it easier or was it stuffier? You know, because making um, girl friendships sometimes can be very dicey, hard, especially at those ages. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Especially in high school. I just remember going to the slumber party in 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 elementary school. <laughs> they were like so into new kids on the block. And I was like, mm. <laughs> what's happening <laughs> I didn't listen to that music I listened to Bruce Springsteen and like all these 70s bands with my parents and then I got to boarding school and I was like these are my people like, <laughs> because everybody was so different and my boarding school isn't they don't like turn out like oh that's a Foxcroft girl I went to all girls boarding school 
where they embraced that everybody was different and they didn't want cookie cutters, but they have just like such a strong backbone. They have a point of view. They are, you know, we were, I took Michael for the first time to Foxcroft, you know, years ago before we were married. And he was so against like boarding schools and private schools and all these things. And, And he sat in a morning assembly with me and all the girls ran the assembly and he sat there and then he looked at me after that and he was just like, they're all so well-spoken, yeah, assertive, confident. I get it. Was there bickering? Was there like stupid girl, teenager stuff? Of course. But I became who I am because of that school. Those are such informative years. And to be able to be encouraged to just be you and do, what are you passionate about? What is your goal? Let's nurture you in that direction, you know? And I, I was so lucky. Like, what a, what an experience. I only had 25 girls in my class. Yeah. Like, you're not overlooked. Everybody has a voice. Everybody can do their thing and they're appreciated for it. Like, I went to an all-girls boarding school that, like, thrives in horseback riding. I didn't ride a horse. <laughs> I was the actress, you know? Like, you know, like, we each had our own perspective and voice. And, you know, my sister went there too and that bonded us even closer. I noticed that at your wedding. Your fellow women that were around you, it's not only your your actual flesh and blood sister that you refer to as your sister. You have close, dear, treasured friendships that mm-hmm. are the same to you as that sisterhood. Like mm-hmm. they are so precious and treasured. I mean, you're so multi-talented and a very diverse actor. One of the places you really thrive and shine is your comedic work. It's phenomenal. You, you have such incredible timing. <laughs> and coming from a fellow actor, recognizing that comedy is so much more challenging. It's so nuanced and it's so subtle. And it's such a beautiful, beautiful realm of performance. And so and within that world is your improv uh, because mm-hmm. you you don't base your and and oftentimes I think comedic work has a tendency to be like this where especially if you feel trusted or if you're on on a set where they are very trusting of their actors they'll let you they'll let you rip they'll let you improv but additionally mm-hmm. you're part of a an improv group aren't you yeah well I went to the Upright Citizens Brigade mm-hmm. um, UCB. I just think that improv specifically, the skill set that it requires, it's something that I think most people should be trained in in so many different professions. I think so, too. And, you know, it's so interesting because there were people that were in my classes that were lawyers or like chefs. And there was like, we've always just really wanted to try. And, you know, my X, Y or Z person that's helping me in my life said, you know, you should probably take some improv classes. (laughs) (laughs) Um, because I do think it it gives you a different tool set than you're used to, especially for writers being able to think and riff and add to, um, is really important. A ton of writers take improv classes who have like want no business being in front of a camera, but love writing on their feet. Mm -hmm. Um, it's such a, it's such a tool and muscle you have to really work. Yeah. I um I want to tie it into well, I mean just life in general like we were just saying. I mean it can be used across the board, but just that that specific well, it takes an enormous amount of presence. Um you mentioned sort of thinking on your feet, uh being adaptable. And I I remember one of the 
most basic rules of improv from when I was doing it in college because improv has always terrified me on stage. Like, oh my gosh. Either my two nightmares are to be on stage, like people expecting me to be funny improvisationally. If you want me to improv (laughs) dramatically, oh, sign me up. I can I can be dramatic and riff and that's wonderful but don't you can't don't expect me to be funny but I think that's the trick right like you you're not doing the thing because you think it is necessarily going to get a laugh or am I wrong about that is it really just about like staying committed well the way I was trained UCB you're not looking for the laugh you're looking in the tr- for the truth and you're looking for the like how to how do I support this person and how do I you know yes and right like I'm not going to start a scene and someone's like, oh, my God, your hair's on fire or, you know, whatever. And me being the scene partner being like, no, it's not. What are you talking about? My hair's made out of water like that. We're not going to get anywhere. (laughs) (laughs) That scene's going nowhere. (laughs) So, like, just being open to those were terrible examples, by the way. I just want to make sure everyone knows that's not how my improv goes. oh boy uh but yeah like you're not going to get anywhere if you're not there to support the other person and I think that's the biggest thing in life and in comedy and in drama and on set that I took away from UCB when before you go onto stage you take that person and you look in their eyes and you say I got your back that is like the camaraderie the friendship the trust that you have in one another and like let's go have fun I got your back. That's it. Like whenever I thought about you and inviting you on this sh- on this podcast is, is I am very familiar with your wedding day experience and all that all that that encapsulates and how that is so relatable. But this was a huge part also of you coming to mind so quickly was I got to talk to DBJ because the improv side of this, what you just said about right before you go out and you make that eye contact and you agree to trust each other and I, and know that I've got your back. I just think that's everything. And I think that above and beyond all things right now, that if people can, if couples can get to that place where, of course, they know they love one another. Okay. Just like, you know, with your fellow actor, we've got the same goals here. We want this to work out. But to truly make that eye contact and make an agreement, a pact to trust one another. Um, I I think that is so necessary in marriage in general, even if we weren't going through a pandemic and experiencing massive shifts in visions and plans and all these things. Even more importantly right now, that if your wedding is taking this dramatic shift in a direction you never planned and you know that some changes are, are necessary and you know that you want to be married and you want to make this happen, when someone says to you, we're going to have to look into making uh, making some changes. Like you said, it's not yeah. just saying, no, what are you talking about? It's yes and let's discuss some options. Let's create solution. I move into the solution part of my brain pretty fast. And I know that that's not the same for everybody. You know, sometimes it takes people a little longer to get out of one phase and move into another phase. You know, those transitions are not easy. For me personally, that's just sort of how I operate. I just go to solution probably before I've even had time to process the disappointment. Being adaptable and being like, okay, let's pivot. Right. Okay. Yeah. Let's do it. 
when it in, in go time and in crunch mode and in those times like finding a solution i i'm the same way i'm like let's just find a solution let's just like let's pivot let's well, what can we do what can i control right now you and me we're the same <laughs> <laughs> like sees like <laughs> like attracts like yeah. um mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. even if you aren't like super quick to make those transitions from disappointment or any sort of big change comes along or something happens that's unexpected and you don't necessarily move quickly into the solution side of things that the ability to take a breath be present and say yes and as opposed Mm -hmm. to that hard no that leaves no room for possibility the yes and at least creates an open path of communication. So I would just say to so many couples that when someone, your wedding planner or your church or your venue or your parents come to you and say, okay, and start having that hard conversation that they're dreading too, uh, you know, to bring it up to you and to have to have you have to experience that disappointment, that instead of just hitting it with a wall of no, you let that, let that wall be you know, made of water or something. <laughs> totally. And I think, I, I mean, I think a really great example of something that happened at my wedding that was such a beautiful kismet and wonderful, like just flow with it, Deborah. Um, we had this like music playlist for this backyard wedding and our wedding planner, Wolf, came in moments before I was supposed to walk down the aisle. He comes and he's like, the music stopped. We can't get it to go. The Wi-Fi is not working. And I just remember looking at you and you looked at me and you're like, TBJ, how cool is it that you're going to get to walk down the aisle to silence and just like the leaves blowing. And can I tell you, Angelina, like, first of all, I looked at you and I was like, thank God for you. (laughs) First of all, (laughs) It's like moments before you're walking down the aisle, the last thing you want is your wedding planner to be like in a frenzy. Walking down, it was so beautiful, not how I pictured it, but I had so many people come up to me and say, that was the coolest thing ever, that you guys had complete silence. And it was just a moment of like the leaves blowing and all of us just watching you and Michael get to see each other. And that wasn't planned. That was something that we just had to riff with. But it ended up being such a special moment. Pushed through. We said yes and. And it ended up being this really cool moment that just kind of happened. There are going to be things that happen on your wedding. Guaranteed. You know, like there's there are going to be some gnarly things happen at your wedding. Whether it be the person that shows up that you didn't know was going to come. Or whether it be the person that like gets totally overserved. Those are the right. stories, right? Like those are like the gems that you're like, oh man, do you remember that? Like, <laughs> oh my god, that's it, though, Deb. That's um, I say that a lot because you're so smart. I keep you say something, and I'm just like, yeah, Deb, that's it. But that's it, Deb. Um, it it is <laughs> when you can embrace it as part of your story in the moment. It's not the thing you would have picked. It's not one of the boxes you would have checked for things that must happen at your wedding day. However, mm-hmm. when you do, when you can step away from it and recognize that all turned out well and that's part of the story now it it is having a a pretty good a healthy perspective on things as they're happening goals are an important part vision has to be able to be changed you know your goal was to marry michael (laughs) that's the goal Mm -hmm. and you did it didn't matter 
whatever other thing happened, however many times the wedding planner came to you with a crisis <laughs> or, <laughs> you know, the music not playing or what other, you know, however many other hundreds of things that probably happened over that wedding weekend that most people don't know about, you still married Michael. And that was the goal, mm-hmm. even if the vision had to shift. Lyle and I, uh, the first episode of this show, we we talked about that. It wasn't that our wedding day was horrible. It wasn't. It just, there were so many things, comical, yeah. hilariously ridiculous things that happened that never would have been one of the things I would have picked. It wasn't on my plan. It wasn't on the agenda for the day. Uh, but looking back at it now, it isn't, the wedding day isn't the marriage, you right. know? So it's okay if the wedding day is not perfect. It's so funny. I had this like really old family friend come up to me and she was like, I have two words of advice if you would like to hear them. And I was like, thank you for giving me the option. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And she was like, one, your marriage starts today. This isn't the end all be all. This is just the beginning. And remember that. And second, take some time today because it's going to be so crazy to step outside and just be you and Michael and look and take in the moment. Just take that one moment. And I remember at the end of like the evening, like I told you like that I wanted to just have a moment. And I told like Mike, like we made sure like we told like a couple of people, like we just need just, just one moment, just us alone looking at this scene, right? Whatever it is, whether it's your big party, whether it's your small gathering, whether it's your, you know, house with the lights on and some candles and all of your friends on Zoom, like taking that moment and genuinely just being like, wow, this isn't ever going to happen again. Like this moment, these group of people, this setting, this is never happening again. So really soak it up and take it in. And I was so appreciative of that, of that wisdom and to have really been like, yeah, and then also my other friend was like, shit's going to happen, so get ready. <laughs> Be ready because it's not going to go the way you want it to. <laughs> and all those things have it. <laughs> and it's taking the mental picture, but it's more importantly, I think it's letting it all just register emotionally. And being present, right? Because it's so easy to not be present on the day and just sort of just get whisked away with the flow of things. Just taking a moment to just really be there. Which is so important. Yeah, it is. Well, thank you, Deb. I'm just so grateful that you shared your time. It'll have a tremendous amount of impact on so many brides who are working through this and trying really hard to be present and trying really hard to be adaptable and also managing that disappointment. You know, one, you can't just shut it off, but it is important to, to manage and to remember the ands, the yes ands, as opposed to the wall of no. Yeah. Uh, it's really hard to bust through that wall of no sometimes. I know. So thank you so much, Deb. I love you with all of my heart. I'm actually wearing my Harvard sweatshirt that I bought. Oh. I, I did not go to Harvard. I'm not. No, that's okay. Like that, but, but you went there. Like you saw it. You touched it. That's fine. Buy the sweater. <laughs> I was there for for your sister's wedding, for mm-hmm. Amelia's wedding, and we had the kids with us, and uh, we went to Cambridge and just, like, hung out on campus and bought myself a sweatshirt, and now people ask me every once in a while, oh, did you go? Well, it depends on what you mean by go. <laughs> I mean, yeah, physically I, I was, was there. I was on campus. I was. <laughs> this came, this sweatshirt came from there. 
So it counts. hundred <laughs> percent. Yeah, um, so I wore it today for our interview. And oh. I'll uh, I'll meet you on the Peloton soon. Yes, ma'am. Thank you so much for having me on. And you're so wonderful. And this is so awesome. And I'm so proud of you. You're such a beautiful human. Um, and I'm so glad that so many brides have you by their side. Because, man, my wedding day would have been so different without you. So I'm just I'm so appreciative of you. Thank you for trusting me. Yeah, of Thank course. you for trusting me. Of course. I love you, DBJ. I love you. All right. We'll talk soon. Okay. Bye. Bye. You've been listening to Changing the Lens Podcast. Be sure to follow us on Instagram at Changing the Lens Podcast. And for show notes and up-to-date goodies, visit our website, changingthelenspodcast.com. And last but not least, be sure to subscribe, rate, and review this show on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. We're a brand new show, y'all. So all of those actions make such a difference and help this show reach other people like you. And guys, we want to hear from you. If you have a topic you'd like to hear more about or a guest you think that would be great, send us that info on our website. Just go to www.changingthelenspodcast.com. See you next time.